0: I'm Denise,
1: she's a non-fiction editor, and I'm Louise,
0: she's a fiction
1: editor, and together we're The Editing Podcast. Hello there, and welcome back to The Editing Podcast. So in, a, in previous episodes, we've discussed issues related to the language of editing, in particular around microaggressions and the language of illness.
0: Yeah, and this week, we're returning to the topic and exploring the term OCD and why it has no place as a marker of attention to detail. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the term OCD, it stands for obsessive compulsive disorder.
1: Yeah, so we're going to approach this one a little differently. In the main, I'm going to be asking the questions and Denise is going to be answering. And that's as it should be, because... I don't have obsessive compulsive disorder and no one in my immediate family or friendship network does but several members of Denise's family do have OCD so she's in a position to talk authentically about this.
0: Yeah and of course we can both speak authentically about being an editor and our responsibilities in relation to the power of words so Harnby will still be opening her gob on this issue.
1: when appropriate so um so we decided to have this conversation because we've both heard people use the phrase a bit OCD to describe not the lived experience of the disorder but as one of the traits that makes for a good quality editor and I know you find that well problematic is probably an understatement Denise why is that
0: (laughs) yeah I do find it problematic and well actually it's more than that it, it upsets me mm. and well there are qualities that a professional editor needs to have you know things like attention to detail an eye for precision consistency order and all these things are positive traits and of course they're essential if you're doing a job that requires you to pick up the smallest of errors
1: yeah, like italic commas where they should be Roman, a or, or word capitalised on page four that's lower on, lowercase on page 168, or making sure that chapter titles and page numbers match the table of contents, that kind of stuff.
0: Exactly, yeah. And that's often what we're required to do, especially if we're proofreading, but yeah. that's not OCD. And this is the thing that we really need to get across in this episode, that OCD isn't about being meticulous or exacting and when we use it in that way we're diminishing the lived experience of everyone who understands what it really means.
1: So we are going to talk about the editorial aspects of this but I I do want to put that aside for the moment and get to the nitty-gritty of what that lived experience might look like Denise because I, I think that some people will say they're a bit OCD or something similar and it's not that they mean to offend or hurt but that they actually don't know what OCD is and how it affects people so can you shed some light on it?
0: Yeah I mean definitely that can be the case and and those people are far less likely to make a throwaway inappropriate comment once that they do have a better understanding of what's involved. Mm. So so the first thing I want to make clear is that I am not a medical professional and I'm coming at this from the experience of people that I care about.
1: Okay, I hear that. And and I imagine that different people experience OCD in different ways. It's a it's it's a continuum like so many things, yeah?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So maybe you prefer to have your bookshelves ordered alphabetically or by colour or by size or you have to straighten a picture that's hanging at three degrees off horizontal because it's annoying you. That doesn't mean you're OCD. And you can probably tell I'm doing air quotes here because <laughs> no one is OCD.
1: Yeah, just like no one is diabetes or conjunctivitis or autism or schizophrenia.
0: Yeah, exactly. OCD is a noun. You can have diabetes or conjunctivitis or autism or schizophrenia. And some people, not all, but some, choose to centre those lived experiences by saying they're diabetic or autistic or schizophrenic. Some choose not to, and that's fine. But you're never the noun. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So that's something editors need to think about.
1: So the attention to detail things you mentioned before with, you know, with the alphabetised bookshelves um, or maybe you're the kind of person who's always a little reluctant to hit send on the final pass of your latest editing job because you're worried you haven't caught anything or you feel a bit nervous about publishing your latest blog because you're worried a typo slipped in. Does that mean you have OCD?
0: Well, you might well have OCD but it's not because of those character traits. Mm. And, and that's the key thing. Being tidy and preferring order and neatness. All those things are just that. They are just character traits. That hyphen that should be an end dash might keep catching my eye until I do something about it. But that's not, that's not OCD. That's not because I have OCD, which mm. I don't. Mm. It's because one of my character traits is that I tend to notice things like that, which is good because that's what my clients are paying me for.
1: Yeah, exactly. Now we mentioned that continuum earlier. Might those things mean your, air quotes, a bit OCD? How does the addition of those two words a bit make you feel when we're talking about this topic?
0: Okay, so you can't be OCD, because like I said, it's a noun. But even if you could, you couldn't be a bit OCD just like you can't be a bit pregnant (laughs) and and since it's a noun you have to have OCD but you can't have a bit of it you either have it or you don't but yeah there's absolutely a continuum in terms of how it affects people the severity of the impact on them and those around them and how it manifests itself there are many different disparate aspects of OCD and there are some that people are familiar with yes. whether that's a repetitive you know hand washing that you know that thing uh-huh, about uh-huh. cleanliness and um, whether it's having to check light switches are off or you know doors are locked um and and some people do have fixations or compulsions about other things but it's different for everybody
1: so um you've explained quite a bit about what it isn't and you've given us a few wee examples there of of how it might manifest can you give us maybe a more concrete example just to help us get the get the a better sense of it
0: okay so here's an example you're on the way to your the airport for a holiday but you have to turn the car around and drive home so you can check yet again that the iron isn't plugged in even though you checked it was in the cupboard countless times before you left. And part of you absolutely knows that it's in that cupboard, but there's an override button there and you cannot convince yourself that that is absolutely true. So you turn your car around and doing this means that you're risking missing your flight, but you have to do it. This is the compulsion part of OCD. Mm -hmm. You have to do it because if you don't, The fear that you might have burned your house down will torment you. It's an irrational fear, but it's very, very real.
1: It must be agonising for those experiencing it.
0: Yeah, it is. And it is simply too compelling to ignore. The person that's feeling this can't just shrug it off or tell themselves to get a grip. Um, An example from an editor's point of view might go like this. So perhaps you check and recheck a file so many times that you miss your deadline Mm. you're paralyzed by an an acute anxiety and upsetting irrational thoughts because you really believe that you've typed something terrible in that document you've typed this client is a twat in 36 point garamond (laughs) somewhere in that document Mm. now that can that can on the face of it be quite amusing oh gosh imagine doing that but Mm. To somebody with OCD, that is a very, very real mm. thought. Mm. It could be, and despite running repeated searches for the offending words and drawing a blank, they still maybe can't let it go.
1: And might someone then start looking for other reasons why that thing that they believe they've written, why it's not visible? Other a, a, a reason other than they actually didn't it's write it. It's not there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, they might think, oh gosh, maybe the software is corrupted and it's not picking up that terrible thing that I wrote. Or mm-hmm. maybe they think while they were checking for it and they typed it in the search box, they didn't type it in the search box, they actually typed the words in the document again. And oh. so they run another check and another. And this cycle continues every waking second. can you imagine that how that must feel I
1: I can't I honestly can't and while I absolutely do like things ordered and tidy and interestingly I I was thinking about this when 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 we said we were going to talk about it I I sometimes do my ordering and titivating late at night because I get a bee in my bonnet about it and I really really want to get it done but it's not a compulsion I can see that it's different Mm. I could decide not to do it with no adverse emotional consequences it's it's it wouldn't be I, I wouldn't be tormented i'd be maybe frustrated or disappointed because i didn't do something that i was excited about doing or that i've i've been i'm looking forward to doing and and i'm thinking like oh i could move this here and i could do this there like when when we went into lockdown i needed to reorganize my home office and um uh and so i you know you know denise i'm in a, <laughs> a shed at the bottom of my garden at the moment yeah. but um back when i went during the lockdown i ended up back in the house and um I uh, and ended up changing the the our uh, dining room around to to a, a home office at three o'clock in the morning. Which, <laughs> but it it wasn't a compulsion. It was just yeah. I suddenly thought about it. I wasn't tired. I thought I'm just going to do that now. I yeah. want to do that now. And you know, somebody might might say, "Oh, well, that's a bit odd. You getting up at you know, you doing that at three o'clock in the morning." It's like, well, not really, because I wasn't tired. It, it wasn't uh there was nothing obsessive about it I was just I had the opportunity I wanted to do it and so I thought I'm going to do it yeah yeah
0: absolutely and that those two words that you used when you first started talking about that ordering and titivating yeah (laughs) there's a world of difference between doing that because it's something that you enjoy doing or you Mm. feel that you really want to do it because you like to see the results of it Mm. and feeling and obsessing over an aspect of your office and being compelled to deal with it. Yeah. Because if you don't, you would be tormented. Yeah. And and that's the key thing. You can't just switch off OCD. Um you you have these obsessive thoughts and the compulsions are what help you to deal with the obsessive thoughts.
1: And interestingly something you 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 know we were talk when we were taught you were talking there, I was thinking when I did that thing with my office that was a really positive thing for me to do I I was I was my thinking about it was 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 driven by positivity rather than than the negative consequences that would come about if I was not able to do it
0: yeah you know I wasn't
1: I wasn't focusing on that at all it was just a it was like you know eating chocolate or something
0: yeah so your behavior wasn't compulsive because it wasn't in response to an an obsessive thought okay yeah Yeah. and and that's the other thing if if you had been interrupted interrupted if johnny had said come down at two o'clock in the morning and said this is ridiculous louise get back you know get back to bed or whatever yeah you could have done you might have been a bit pissed off with him but you could have done it you know but you can't you and you could have gone to bed and thought well i'll just do that tomorrow yeah But with OCD, you can't switch it off, you Mm. have to see through your compulsions.
1: Mm.
0: So to go back to the analogy about the iron, even though your partner might have put that iron in the cupboard for you again, or checked your document for the word twat or whatever, you still have to check for yourself just one more time, again and again. And the other thing about it is you certainly don't Boast about it, you know, about oh, I'm so look look at look at what I had to do. I'm so OCD. Mm. Um, it it's not a positive for most people. I I know that there are some people who can um use some of their traits. They can they can channel them a bit more positively. But in the main, um, it's not a positive enhancement mm. to your life.
1: Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about what you just said there about the boasting. So the 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 flippancy of comments like such and such as editing, uh, su- su- sorry, such and such as setting off my OCD, or my OCD really plays into my strengths as an editor, or I think I'd be good at proofreading because I'm a bit OCD, or I'm totally OCD about the serial comma. It, it's, that <laughs> seems to right, I can hear it. That <laughs> seems to be something that really, really upsets you.
0: Definitely, because It's a complete misunderstanding of what OCD is, um, because somebody who has OCD just can't frame it that flippantly. Uh, uh. I mean, somebody that I know, this, this is how they describe having OCD. They say it's having relentless compulsions that are driven by panic or terror, being forced to endure irrational and unwanted thoughts debilitating anguish and a mental torment which they actually want to hide from others not well, yeah. talk about it yeah and that's the key thing he, he says hide and that's very common he calls those thoughts lobsters because they scuttle around in his mind uninvited and undeterred
1: and has he found um coping or management mm-hmm. mechanisms or strategies
0: well um, yes uh-huh it's taken many years of cognitive behavioral therapy and Mm -hmm. uh, medication antidepressants and acceptance that you know it's those lobsters are part of them Mm -hmm. and and i think that can be the a part that people with ocd can really struggle with is accepting that this is what they have and now on good days the cbt the medication the mindset work it all helps but there are bad days where he simply can't function at all Mm, mm. and and of course he's not alone there you know there are tens of thousands of people with this and and there are people within our professional community who feel like that they might even be listening today and it brings it brings enormous challenges with it you know there's anxiety there's fear there's you know difficulty meeting deadlines and potentially poor productivity and the thing is The authors, editors, others in the publishing world are living with this illness. And when those who aren't decide to frame it flippantly and they talk about these OCD tests they've done online or, you know, I had to, you know, if I don't line up my shoes, it just really flips off my OCD. When people say that, it really diminishes the lived experience of those people that do have it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could even go as far as to say it shows a contempt for it, like they're not taking it seriously. Um but they haven't learned the true effects of something like this. Mm-hmm.
1: So that's an interesting point because that there, there will be some listeners maybe who are thinking, no harm's meant, that's just the way language works. Words and phrases become sort of colloquialized, meanings changed and so on. But then when I think about what you've just said and 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 the the way you described what um the person um the lobster the, the person who described um their experience his experience of of having OCD is like having lobsters in his head. And, and I think about the conversation we've had with Crystal Shelley about microaggressions in relation to race and gender and sexual orientation, for example. That's what we're dealing with here, isn't it? I don't think it's any different.
0: Yeah, I don't think it is either. And, you know, I, I, up until recently, I hadn't really thought of it as being a microaggression, but it, it absolutely is, because every time somebody with OCD hears somebody using it in that way, it, what else is it other than a microaggression? Uh, uh, you know, it's uh. it's diminishing their lived experience. And I, you know, I completely accept that most of the time harm isn't meant. And yes, you, you know, people could put a case for the fact that words and phrases become colloquialized and meanings change and so on. But this is an identified, you know, mental illness that is Mm. very prevalent in in our country, across the world. And I think there has been some studies done that have shown that the pandemic has caused, you know, a a rise in um, people suffering from, you know, various anxieties and manifestations of Mm. uh, various obsessive and compulsive disorders. But... You and I, and many of our colleagues in the editorial community, we're having an ongoing conversation about who we're centering when we talk about harm. It's that whole intention versus perception discussion.
1: Yeah. And it's so true because as soon as you shift yourself into a space where you stop thinking about yourself and what you meant, and into a place where you start to consider how your words make others feel. It's a whole different ballgame, and that work is challenging, isn't it? It's hard, painful even to admit that something you said might have hurt another when that's the last thing you meant to do, and it can make you feel. I know I've had to sort of restrain myself because I think my knee-jerk reaction, if I if if I was to say something like, let's say I, I I can't remember. I'm maybe I have in the past. Maybe I've said, but let's imagine for a moment that I use the phrase that's a bit OCD, and let's say someone we know challenged me on it I think my first my knee jerk reaction would be to feel defensive I didn't mean that I didn't mean to hurt anybody mm-hmm. you know yeah. and, and so you want to defend yourself rather than it it, it feels really uncomfortable actually just taking a step step back and going okay oh mm-hmm. yeah, yeah 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 you know it's hard it's yeah, hard I
0: may not have meant it but this is the effect that it hard yeah it yeah had. and it is difficult to admit that especially when it's you know we, we talk about language shifting and you know what was acceptable you know even five years ago might not be acceptable now and having to consciously work on that sort of thing it, it's not easy because it's unlearning and like oh. you said it's it's putting yourself in the other person's shoes basically you oh. know it's and it's making you think about the you know however you you intended it how was it perceived yeah. yeah yeah and none of us get a pass on doing it
1: yeah so um let's try to centre this in our editing practice for a moment because when you and I are working on texts and we're thinking about helping our authors use language in a way that's conscious of or alert to the power of words we're not trying to be prescriptive are we we're not saying don't use the term OCD in X Y or Z context because it's bad and you're wrong and we don't like it. That's not what we're doing, are we?
0: No, absolutely not. And, you know, I'm probably one of the least prescriptive editors there are, yeah, you know. Yeah. And I know you are too. We're, not, we're definitely on the descriptive end of the spectrum mm. there. So, But what we are doing is we're creating that alert. Yeah. So in the case of a phrase like a bit OCD, we're saying this might make one of your readers feel diminished or less understood. Is that, is that what you want to do here?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Is that your intention? Yeah. And it may be that they do. That maybe yeah. that is their intention. It mm-hmm. could be that the editor's working on a piece of fiction, say, in which the character arc explicitly involves a journey of discovery and consciousness in relation to language around obsessive compulsive disorder and that the use of the phrase, a bit OCD, becomes part of that teaching.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, so do you think then, Louise, that when we're talking about fiction, do you think that anything goes do you think that there's a broader scope for language that could diminish or offend precisely because it is fiction that that there's more scope for allowing it
1: um I think there's scope but Mm. not a whole pass I want to I want to see purpose like so that what I talked before about that sort of intentionality of that you know that, that it's it's purposeful for the for the for that character Character art art, yeah yeah um but just like I want to see purpose in every line of a book when I'm line editing regardless Mm -hmm. of whether the words might harm or not I mean even if it's just a sort of piece of dialogue about the weather uh, Mm that I'm I'm thinking is that purposeful and if it's not what's it doing there um and so that's why just like you when you're working on nonfiction, I'll query though rather than amend certain language choices because you you want to see where it's going, don't you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and that purpose, uh, the purpose of a line, it might not be clear until several pages or several chapters later.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'd rather flag up a potential problem and then review it once I've completed the edit. And if I think there's still a problem, I'll offer some alternatives. So that's what I want to ask you now about, because um, I think it might be useful for our listeners to have a few ideas of how to reframe the term OCD when it's being used in a way that's not true to what it is, Mm. that's not true to those lobsters you mentioned earlier.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Instead of saying someone's OCD or a bit OCD you can try words and phrases like meticulous or thorough or rather scrupulous if the framing is positive or if it's negative perhaps a word like fussy or pernickety might suit the bill. Mm. Instead of saying that triggers my OCD you could say that triggers my preference for order. I mean, you can find the words. It's, you know, it's not like we're running out of them in the English <laughs> language. I mean, I mean, obviously, unless, of course, you do have OCT, in which case you're absolutely free to frame it. As yeah, 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 you yeah. Know, yeah. You know, that goes yeah. without saying. The point I'm trying to make is that, as I said, there are plenty of words in the English lexicon that we can use to express attention to detail and precision. And OCD simply doesn't need to be one of them. We can reserve that for when we're talking about the illness.
1: And it makes sense too, if we centre the author's relationship with the reader for a moment. So authors, for the most part, want to communicate a message and engage with their readers, whatever the material is. And part of being an editor for me, and I think for you, means ensuring readers aren't distracted, that they're focused on the words. And every reader who ends up being thrown out of the words because the meaning has been conflated is potentially someone who stops reading, who stops engaging, who loses faith in the message and any future message. No one wins in that situation, which sort of comes back to that thing is that it's not about being prescriptive, it's about, it's about helping your author it's, it, not, not disengage a single one of their readers. Mm. And in this case, a reader who has OCD. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And, and again, I think we need, really need to emphasize this. It's not about cancelling or prescribing which words must, should always be used or not used. Mm. It's simply about being mindful, about looking outwards, about acknowledging that not everyone's like us and that words have power. And when we decide to curb our own use of these sorts of phrases, we're broadening our opportunity
1: to be listened to. And we're helping our clients do the same when we're editing for them. We are indeed. Denise, thank you for sharing what I know is such a personal topic for you. I really appreciate it. These language episodes are always so enriching for me, both personally and professionally. They really are.
0: Oh, me too. And you're so welcome. (laughs) So that's a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for listening to us again. If you'd like to help support the Editing Podcast, you can join our Patreon community for as little as £3 a month.
1: We'd love to have you on board. So if you're interested, hop over to patreon.com forward slash Editing Podcast. We'll pop a link in the show notes for you. In the meantime, she's been Denise. And she's been Louise. Join us again next time. Bye. Bye.